Okay, so if you remember in the series so far, we, we've talked a little bit about this grand story of redemption. And then within that story, we thought about how God's people are to relate to various elements within it. We thought about how we as a people relate to creation, about how we as a, as a church are to be a blessing to the nations by proclaiming Christ to them. And last week, how we are to relate to our own redemption. T tonight, in, in thinking about how we are a people who who represent God to the world, we're going to consider just what it means to be priests. And so to do that, we're going to start off in Exodus and look at the nation of Israel and, and how they were set apart, along with the office of the Old Testament priest and what that points to. Now, and then we'll be thinking about how we, through our participation in Christ, take on priestly responsibilities by looking at First Peter. So let's dive first into the Old Testament to think about these things that, that point towards Christ as priest. Exodus 19, if you have your Bibles there, verse 1. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, so in the setting here, it's, this is after God had redeemed them from slavery and began this journey to make them a nation and bring them to the promised land. After all that, Israel are camped at the foot of a mountain, and God calls Moses to come up to speak with him. And what we get now is this foundational moment where, where God covenants to make Israel into a, a nation, and a nation that is, that is different from, from every other nation. See verse 5, although the, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, so notice what God says there. He is affirming that, that every nation belongs to him, that he is God over all, but there will be something distinct about Israel as a nation that will separate them from these other nations. And notice there as well, it's, it's not just a difference in degree. So it's not like Israel here is, is first amongst equals, but it's, it's a difference in kind. Israel is to be totally different to the other nations that they have been set aside for a different purpose, a, a holy purpose. And so, although God is God over all in this passage, He has chosen to use Israel in a different way than all the other nations. Although He uses all the nations for His purposes, He covenants here to use Israel in a special and distinct way. And, and that sort of being set apartness is, is what is meant by the holy nation in verse 5. And, and the way that that is going to be marked is by their status as priests, a kingdom of priests where their citizens stood in this special relation to, relation to God in a way that is totally different from the rest of the nations. And so for us, what we need to ask is what does it mean to be a priest here? Well, in verse 5, we read the, the stipulation for being a kingdom of priests, and that was to obey his covenant, which if you know the rest of the Scripture, they repeatedly and spectacularly failed at. And so if you read down into chapter 19, verses 20 to 24, what we see is that the people, they, they cannot come close to God, or what he says is that he will break out against them. So it's the people's sin, it prevented them from coming to God. And so what was established was an order of priests who, who God gave certain gracious provisions to, 
that would allow them to, to, to give the people a sort of temporary covering of that sin. Those of you in the book-by-book book reading group going through Leviticus will, will notice some of these trends, but the, the priest's role here is to, is to mediate between God and man. They, they stood between God and the people, a sort of a buffer that prevented the people just being destroyed by their own sin in the presence of a holy God. And so the, th- the whole thrust of the Bible after the fall is that, is that man is not in relationship with God. He yearns to get back in relationship with God, but can't get there because of our sin. Sin and holiness are just incompatible. And so like oil and water, we are unable to get back into that close relationship pictured in the garden. But we know this, it's always been God's plan to to do away with that sin, to, to bring us back into right relationship with Him. And He planned to accomplish that through the cross, through uh, atoning for our sin by, by coming to earth as a man, perfectly fulfilling the law, so that there was no sin in him, so that he would be the perfect sacrifice, and then dying the death that we should have died, taking our punishment so that we could receive his perfect righteousness. So it was through the shedding of blood that our sins were forgiven. It was a a substitutionary atonement that that covered our sins once and for all. And it was to give us a a picture, a a foretaste of that, that God gave Israel this order of priests and the ceremonial law to, to image in part what Jesus would bring to the full. And so all that is just to say that the priest's job in the Old Testament was to mediate the covenant standing between the people and their God as they worked to present man to God in a manner that allowed for a temporary kind of relationship. They taught them the ways to live so they could come near God. They, they performed the acts of sacrifice and worship that provided the, the, the covering. And through their commitment to holiness, they imaged something of God's holiness to the people. And so as we're thinking about this, I want, I want you to think that their job is, is different to what we think of as the prophet's job. So prophets represented God to man. So, so they were God's messengers to the people and fulfilled the role that we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about being a blessing to the nations. They were the, the outward-facing office, going and proclaiming. But the priests here, they, they function more as the the inward-facing office. If the prophets are the the push to get people to come to God, the priests here are the pull, attracting people in and showing them how to come closer. And so the result may be similar. People are brought closer to God, but the methods are, are quite distinct. So if you're taking notes, make sure you record that the priests stand between God and man and bring people in by showing them how to worship and how to relate to God. And so if we're thinking about how Israel was to function as a a kingdom of priests, we are thinking about this, this one nation standing in a different relationship with God and imaging to the surrounding nations how to properly relate to the one true God. 
Hopefully that's set some context then for understanding how this image of priest is going to be used in the New Testament. We're going to jump to 1 Peter now and to see what that means for us in the church today. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2 verse 4. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. As you come to him, the, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so what Peter is talking about here is how we are united to Christ. So, so as we come to Christ, the, the living stone, we are united to Christ and we become alive as well. Our, our hearts of stone are replaced with, with hearts of flesh. We receive spiritual life as His, His grace is poured out over us and, and becoming like little versions of the, the true living stone, Jesus as His Spirit shapes us and molds us into His image. But notice, it's not just an individual metaphor here about what's happened to each one of us. But rather, we are taken and built together into something else. We are built, and notice that we are passive in that. We are being built. So not that we are building ourselves or building a tower to heaven or making a name for ourselves. We've nothing to boast about here. This is God uniting us to himself and to one another in a purposeful way, building his church as he would have it. And this picture is spelled out again in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Here are the echoes of Exodus. Just like they were taken as a group of slaves and constituted into a nation, a people, through being united to Christ, we, a group of sinners here, are taken and formed into a family, into a people chosen by him, a, a royal priesthood. We now exist as a people utterly different from the people around us. We are the, the called out ones, and, and now like priests, we stand in a different relationship to God. So where the world stands in a relationship of, of judgment, of deserving wrath, we stand as children of God, forgiven, adopted, brought into the presence of God, and having Him live within us. So in contrast to those who reject Christ in verses 7 and 8, we have been chosen and justified and adopted and sanctified so that, so that we, together, the, the spiritual house of the church, might offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices to be drawn into the presence of God. This image shows us that the part of our function as the church is to be priests. But if that is our role, if, if that is part of how we are to function as a people, then we do need to slow down for just a second, as, as Noble mentioned, and get the grips with this idea of the, the priesthood of all believers. So a bit of a short history lesson here. Priests in the Old Testament, they, they stood between God and man. 
access to God, what was mediated through them. To get to God, you had to go through the priest. And before the Reformation, the church had sort of drifted to a point of, of taking that as almost a, a model. The understanding of the, the very nature of the clergy changed. They had become something different, like a different class of Christians, elevated above others. But with the, with the Reformation, there came this view that was later then called the priesthood of, of all believers. And what this meant was not that there was no such thing as, as ministers or clergy, but simply that every Christian had equal access to God. No one stands between us and the Lord. Whether you're clergy or not, it doesn't matter at all. We are all children of God, and we can all come to our Heavenly Father by faith in the Son through the Spirit. So, so the difference between the laity and the, the clergy, it's really just about function in terms of office. So for us, you'll notice that it's only the ordained minister who leads communion, not, not because they are more holy than the rest of us, <clears throat> but because that's just part of their office of minister. That, that's their role as ministers here. As offers bearers of the church, they have a certain function and authority that God has laid down for the running of the church. But they are there for the same reason that anyone else is in their job, because God has called them to that function. God calls one to be a plumber, one to be a doctor, one to be a minister, all different roles, but all stand equal before God. And so the first and most important implication of the priest of all believers is that we have direct and equal access to God. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you think something's happening, I better get the minister to pray for me because his prayers are special. Or what if you recognize that after church here, you could turn to the person beside you and know that they have equal access, equal standing before the Lord, that your prayers are heard in the throne room, that there's no color of power here, but that you as a person, as a child of God, filled with the Spirit, can come before the Lord whenever you wish. We need to hold on to that. But another implication of this is that, that we have a priestly role in ministering to one another. We, we are all called to minister the Word to one another, to, to confess our sins to one another, and to, to reassure each other of the salvation and, uh, that we hold in the gospel. And so when we are having tea and coffee and a, and a mom comes up and shares with you that she is worried about talking to her kids about Jesus, what do you do? I'll tell you, you, you take her to your scriptures and show her that, that these promises, they are for her and for her children. That, that as parents, they are to teach the way to their children. That, that they are to train up their kids. You are to remind the dad not to be harsh or to embitter their kids, but, but to instruct them. You're to encourage them to, to discipline and set boundaries. You're to show them that the passing on the faith is, is their role and not anyone else's. That they are to shepherd this tiny flock under their care. You're to remind them of how important this role is. And above all, encourage them that God is with them even when it's tough. That their church family is here to support them in their God-given role. That, that ultimately... Their kids' salvation is not down to their parenting style 
and that no matter what their frustrations are, God has forgiven them and that His grace is sufficient for them in this moment. That is acting as a priest when someone is struggling with their kids. If all we can muster is an empathetic shrug and a joke, maybe a quiet word to the minister, we're not going to be drawing anyone closer to Christ. But if we can minister to one another and, and actually bring God's Word to bear on our lives, then we will be embracing this call to be a royal priesthood. We have a challenge here to become a community that takes our role as parents, as, as friends, as church members to be instances where we can minister the Word to one another, to, to truly step up to our role as priests through our union with Christ. But if we look at our passage, there's, there's a really important secondary consequence of this as well, and that is that our lives and our communal witness would would draw people in so that, as verse 12 says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, we have to be a little careful here because often this concept, it's used to talk about evangelism uh, as if the, the goal, the, the point of what Peter is saying is, is about evangelism. But, but look to the context there. He's just set up this distinction between the, the, those chosen to be part of the spiritual house and those in verse 8 that are destined to reject the message. He's saying that, that they act this way, but you act a different way. And the primary reason for that is that as God's representatives, any comment on our behavior, well, it's actually a comment on God. So in Jewish thought, how outsiders viewed the actions of the people of God, it, that's what would give honor or dishonor to God. And so we want to be clear that the primary thing that grab, that's up for grabs here, it's God's glory, His fame and, and His renown. So the goal of good deeds is it's worship, not necessarily evangelism. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have really important implications for evangelism. Here's what I mean. Look to verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires which, war, which wage war against your soul. So acting on, on sin is primarily devastating to them as individuals. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, so they will accuse you of doing wrong, and that wrong is directly linked to what they are abstaining from. So, so their, their practicing of, of holiness, it's what is, that's what's going to get them in trouble. That's what they'll be accused with. But although that will happen, they may see your good deeds. And again, by, by good deeds, think about that abstaining from sinful desires of verse 11 and listen to verse 1. And glorify God on the day he visits us. So, so notice what happens here. The, the church are to abstain from sin. That's another way of saying to, to be holy, to be set apart. And in doing that, living their lives in worship to Christ, the pagans are going to look on and accuse them of evil. But, but when they actually see the worship, see their devotion and holiness, their accusa accusations just seem silly. 
In fact, when they see our lives, they, they are intrigued. They, they come closer. And some will even glorify God on that final day. There is an, a, an attraction, an incredible secondary byproduct of our devotion that speaks for us, that, that defends us and draws people closer. Many of you have, have told me your story of, of coming to faith and how it started with people just having this quality about them that, that fascinated you, that, that made you want to know more. And so you came closer to church, got, got more involved, and suddenly found yourself confronted by the gospel and, and worshiping God. And if that's you, you'll know that although these people were probably overjoyed to see you come to church, well, they weren't pretending to live a certain way just to get you through the door. Their lives weren't directed at, at, towards you, but towards worship, and you just got swept up in it. Now, having said that, please, please don't hear this as a get-out clause for personal evangelism, as if we can just be nice, we don't have to say anything. You still have to do that. This is not an either-or-or or choice here. The, the priestly, attractive community is for us as, as a people, Evangelism is for you as an individual. So I don't want to hear any of this preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words rubbish. It's, it's always necessary to use words. Go and preach the gospel in your lives. Go out and get people. But, but in addition to that, whilst still doing that alongside that, understand that there's something about our community that is going to draw people in, that, that, that should interest them that as we stand in a different relationship with God to them, and because our lives are orientated in a, in a different way to theirs, a way that brings life and calls to something deep within us, they're going to feel pulled towards it in some way if they can just see it. Priests point people to God. They, they, they present people to God. They, they focus on God. But it means that, that anyone who gets swept up in that community will inevitably also be pointed to God. We've said that pursuing holiness will, will create an attractional element that allows us to present the world to God and, and represent God to people. But let's think quickly about how we actually act like priests. What are we to do now to grow in our function as this kingdom of priests. Well, that comes back to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that or so that, in order that, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The, the, the royal priesthood declares the praises of God. We have been made a people to worship God. I feel like I've been saying this an awful lot recently, but our chief aim is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And He has given us the means to do that in worship. In Jeremiah, God speaks against the people for creating new ways to worship, taken from the culture around them, things to which I did not command or decree, nor did it come to my mind. In Leviticus, we get this story of the priests offering a, a strange fire, basically changing the way that God said that he was to be worshipped 
and we can see his utter anger at that. Our own confession, I'll throw it here, says that the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So it's pretty clear, isn't it, that we aren't to adapt our worship based on our current cultural trends or, or make up different ways of worshiping to suit the watching world. That, that's not how we are to be attractive. And it's not just here whilst we worship, but, but, but in our lives. This section in First Peter, it's full of ideas of abstaining from sinful desires, living holy lives, being different from those around us. So we aren't to take our, our moral compass from what the, the culture says, but from what God tells us in His Word. And what that means is that we are going to come into conflict with the world. We aren't going to be the most entertaining place to be. We, we aren't going to be the most relevant or toe the cultural line. We aren't going to conform to what this world requires of us. And so we are just going to have to accept that we will look weird to outsiders. And so the only thing that, that could be attractive to them is that our lives and all our weirdness point to something true, that, that our integrity and our devotion might cut across the, the grain, but we genuinely believe what we preach. We are actually authentic in our relationship because we don't need to play a role. We can be secure in, in who we are because we know that Christ has given us our identity. And we don't need to search deep within or go find ourselves to, to know what that identity is. And for a world so bankrupt in integrity, there's something really attractive about that indeed. Seeing that the gospel is, is real, it is true, that, that we here actually believe it, that, that we can confess our sins to one another, that we can be weak, that we can find joy in suffering and find peace in the storm. That's like gold dust to people. That's something people will see and think, there must be something about this. There must be something to this God. And so it's by our simple devotion and worship of God that we represent God. That people are drawn closer to us, not because we conform to the world, but because we live out our faith. And so if you're there and you want to draw your unbelieving spouse to Christ, love Christ. If you want to witness to your unbelieving children, then worship Christ. If you want to bring that neighbor to know Christ, then run to Christ yourself. We are to represent people to God by drawing them into the covenant community through our integrity and worship and by implication not conforming to the world. Our role as priests is to worship God, is to be a people whose, whose lives, both of, as individuals and as people here, both in the gathering and in our various groups, are just sold out for God. So that what people see is a purity of devotion that makes them ask, what could be as good as all that.
We are to be a community that ministers to one another, that presents one another to God so that we are built up in faith. Look about you. These are the people that you are to minister the word to. Our priestly responsibilities are to create a community here that is a holy nation, a kingdom of priests called out from the world and standing in a different relationship to God, one where we are close to him and devoted to him. And it's going to be a faith that is, that is challenged in this day and age, a commitment that is tested to see whether it is fear of God or fear of man that really drives us. Family, the, the only way that we can live as this holy nation and resist the encroaching world is to cultivate a faith and a dependence upon God that impacts how we live, how we minister to one another, and how we worship here. Are we going to represent God to the world as being someone so worth knowing that we are willing to suffer for it? Are we going to represent God as being utterly holy in how we worship? Are we going to stand apart and be different in how we treat one another? Are we going to minister to one another as well? I've gone on long enough, but, but I do pray that you've bought into what it means to be priests and that you can wrestle together to find out how that works in practice. What does it mean when you go out for tea and coffee? What does it mean when you're walking by the way with your friend, brother here, sister here? What does it mean when you're interacting with your, your kids or your family or your parents? What does that mean for us as a people here at Hamilton Road? One way that we do know how to stand as priests is to rejoice together in the, in the presence of God. It's, it's to come before the throne and to sing his praises. And so in a minute, we're going to do that. I'm, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand together and sing, salvation belongs to the Lord. But as we pray, join your prayers. As we sing, join your voices and know that we come together as that spiritual house, we come together as a priesthood of all believers in the presence of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you convict us tonight of your goodness and holiness and worth, that you empower our worship and our witness with a love and passion for you, we pray that we would live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse our, us of doing wrong, they would glorify you along with us as we declare your praises for calling us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Thank you, Lord, that we stand in your presence. Lead us to worship you now, we pray in your holy name. And all God's people said, Amen.